0: So you have this um, a triangle that's here. And this is something that we use in therapy an awful lot when we work with people. And this is a, an equilateral triangle. This is just a way to illustrate this. Is that you put God at the top and you put a husband and wife on the side. And basically what you're saying is that if you get closer to God, you actually get closer to each other. I function better when I have my own devotional life. And my wife functions better when she has her own devotional life. When we don't have our own devotional lives, we kind of fuss with each other a lot more. God is the one who holds us together because we are living on the edge of darkness. I don't know about you, but I I would send my children in public school into their mission field every morning when they would go to the Web City Public School. And I would pray with them, and I would talk with them, and I would try to equip them. And I would say, now go and make a difference in a public school with people who don't know Jesus. And that puts strain on them. My wife works as a public school teacher in Carl Junction and she charges the darkness with families and she charges the darkness with certain kind of kids. And you know, the darkness pushes back sometimes. And we're out trying to do the things for the Lord that we do. And if we don't stay close to the Lord as a husband and a wife, if we're not growing and we're not developing, then we become more and more easily distracted and can fight. Now, Christian marriage, marriage therapists have what's called anecdotal research. And anecdotal research is not anything that's done scientifically, but it's just something that they have sort of put together as a, as a group of people. And here's what they have said. A married couple that prays together stays together. A married couple that prays together stays together. Like the most intimate acts that you can have between a husband and a wife, which are conversation and physical closeness, intimacy, sex. Prayer mirrors that with God, that he can move inside of you and he can draw you to him in certain ways. And here's what I want you to know, gentlemen, this is just directly related to you. The number one statement that women across the United States have asked me to ask you is to please initiate praying with them. The number one thing we don't do is initiate praying with our wives. Isn't that interesting? The way to stay close, we don't do. And if a woman asks you enough, would you play with me? You know, you said you would pray with me. Why aren't you praying with me? We hear it as criticism, and doggone it, I'm not praying with you for nothing. So we're really at a bit of a handicap if we don't understand that we have to initiate and we have to move forward, which we'll talk about here in just a little bit. But I have another fun little video for you. It's called The Clumsy Best Man. Take a look at this. Chloe will you have keep to be your wedded husband to live together in the covenant of marriage will you love him comfort him honor and keep him in sickness and in health and forsaking all others be faithful to him as long as you both shall live the rings please I love that. (laughs) I've never seen anything quite like that in my life. Whoa. (laughs) That's worth watching again at some point, isn't it? Okay. Problems in paradise. Let's just kind of talk about this. Now, this whole idea that we've got going, we live on the other side of the fall, and something happened. And what happened was it just all busted apart and as a result we now live with brokenness in our lives. So i want to talk to you a little bit about what genesis chapter 3 verse 16 means for us. At the very beginning of this verse it talks about how we will have weeds when we till the soil and a woman will have pain in childbirth, which is not really a part of our discussion. But that the last two lines of genesis 3:16 state that a woman will desire her man, her husband, but he will rule over her. That little line, those two lines that are in there are issues that are really, really important for us to consider. And so, ladies, let me tell you what the Bible says happens to you. The word desire is only used in three places in the whole Old Testament. It is used here in Genesis 3. It is used in Genesis 4, and it's used in Song of Solomon chapter 7. But it's not used the same way. And so, Genesis chapter 4 has a word picture, so I want to do it here for you. This is God who is talking to um, Cain, and Cain is getting angry at Abel. And God says, Cain, be careful. Sin is crouching at the door, and it desires you, desires to overtake you. It desires to dominate you. And so the way I like to think of this in this one illustration is kind of this monster that's down here that has as its intention to eat, devour the other object, the other person that's there. The second way that this word desire is used is in Song of Solomon, and it's used in the context of romantic love, is that she's going to desire her man. Now, the rabbis took a decidedly sexual um, accent on this for women. And um, as a result of that, they kind of looked at women as being the seductress within the culture. And in fact, you might not know this, but the Muslim faith has women covered in burqas because they believe that their God, Allah, made women with part of their DNA to tempt men to see if men would stay holy to Allah. And that hell will be more populated with women than men. little unknown fact that you often don't hear. Because this truth is embedded within our souls. If you take a look at what has happened to us sexually, a woman can control a man sexually. I mean, I often joke that a man has an upper brain and a lower brain, if you know what I'm talking about. And if a man gets his lower brain activated, he will do the most ridiculous, stupid things in the entire world that he would never do if he was not full of some kind of lustfulness. And a woman can actually set that off in him. We know know that this is true. We we understand all this. I'm not not saying this to bash women. We know that something has happened in this relationship. And the rabbis looked at that and they said, my goodness, look at how sex has been horrible within our own culture. We're going to take that as an accent that somehow sex has become polluted. Just look at our culture. I don't need to say anymore. And look at the victimization of women. Look at kind of the seducting kind of things that happen. And look at how men love to be chased. Enough of that. There's something to that. Well, if you look in Genesis chapter 3, this idea of dominance and power, overpowering somebody, what you also have is a lady who's wearing the pants in the family because she wants to. Not because she has a weak husband who won't, but because she wants to. You all have seen ladies in here who run over their men and run over their children and try to run everything that they get involved in because they are going to be the boss. That's what this verse is talking about. You put sex and that together, you get a really bad combination. Okay, you get the worst, the worst that's possible. So what God is saying is this. Something has happened to every woman that's going to be hard for her to be a partner. Now, gentlemen, I I want you to hear this clearly. You have the most amazing created being that God can come up with in this world as your partner. And Satan is trying to ruin her. That's what I want for you to hear. You have the most amazing being that God can make to give you as a gift. And something happened as a result of the fall of women, and Satan is there to try to destroy her. And if he can destroy her, he can destroy you. And I want you to think about protecting her. And I want you to think about being gentle with her. And I want you to think that when she has trouble and she does her little, we're going to do it mom's way because, you know, if mama ain't happy, there ain't nobody in America that's happy because mama ain't happy. And right now, and it's going to be that way for about three days. Mama's a crock pot and she's going to boil all over the place. The minute that you see that, you have to have compassion. Because that's what's going, Genesis 3.16 is going on. Because it wrecks everything when mama gets going like that. And what is the number one thing, gentlemen, that you want in your marriage? Peace. What will you do? You will roll over and give her what she wants rather than fight her. Who wants to fight that? (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no. Who wants to fight that? Do you see how we're set up for failure in this world? Do you see how God's great gifts can actually wreck our relationships by just living in a world that doesn't work the way that it's supposed to? Oh, but, gentlemen, something really bad happened to you, too. So let me just get to that. Let's throw that in there. But he will rule over her. That word rule is the old Hebrew word for govern. It means power. The number one sin of men in the world is domestic violence. Universally, in every language, in every culture, in every religion, the violence of a man against a woman and children is the number one sin of men around the world. Genesis 3.16. It is codified. That is, it is allowed in certain religions to victimize women because they deserve it. It's codified in our cultures. It is the number one sin. We think that that's bad when women act that way. We create entire cultures that victimize women. And we do it here in our own country as well. So, what I would say to you as guys, is this. The one thing that you will tend to do is you will either go passive and roll because you want peace. Or you'll come out like some kind of a wolverine with those extra little claws that come out of your hands. And you will go to town. And when you go to town, it may be ugly and bloody. Because we lose the balance of what we have. Do you see why we need God in a fallen world? You see that something happened to us when we decided to step away from him and said, no, we can do better without you. Thank you very much. God said, you can't even live without me. And you can't pretend that nothing happened that day in the garden. But I am here to put you back together again. And you, my brothers and sisters, are the living example of that. That's why the church is so amazing. That's why Satan wants to kill us. That's why he wants to destroy our marriages. Because if it can happen to you, it can happen to your neighbors. You can actually have a great marriage. And your neighbors can have a great marriage. And and everybody in this community can actually have a great marriage. Do you believe that? Because God comes in and he says, I can do this. Because I am the living one. And you get connected with me. And I can do this. And the power struggle that actually is a part of this whole issue can begin to be resolved with the amazing grace of Christ in your life. So when you look at this idea about the way that you class with, with each other, I call this the sin cycle. The sin cycle. I, I was married by about eight years before I finally figured this out. So let me tell you how you break this. If you try to do everything the right way and nothing still is working, This is now a spiritual battle. And gentlemen, you must lead in this. So let me give you three steps in prayer to do with your wife. And I I ran across this because I was so incredibly frustrated. Of all the people that should know what to do, it should be me, don't you think? I mean, I studied family. I've got advanced training and degrees. I, I work with people in this. I should know something about the way that things should work if we could find five easy steps. And what I found was the harder that I tried, the more angry I became. Because I couldn't change myself. So here's what I learned. When the sin cycle kicks up, and gentlemen and ladies are frustrated, men get picky and angry or withdrawy, and women get kind of that heckly kind of, it's easier to live on the roof than it is with the lady that's mouth is going all the time. When those kinds of things start happening to you, and you're going, what happened to us? Here are three things that, gentlemen, I want for you to do. I want you to take your wife and go alone. It could be in your bedroom, just away from kids. And I want you to offer three prayers. And ladies, I want you to mirror this prayer. Number one is you must admit what has happened to you. So when Van and I would do this, I would pull her in and I would sit her down next to me and I wasn't feeling very cheerful, spiritual, loving, mutual, or anything because I was ticked. I'm a fairly patient person, but when I'm done, I'm done. You know, you get that way. It's like, Why did this happen to me? Because this is the woman I love. Why can I be so angry over so little? Because there is this thing that's happening inside of us. And I can't control it. It's bigger than me. And so I just sat there and I said, Lord, I am turning into an angry man. I don't want to be an angry man. But I am turning into an angry man. And I am confessing before my wife that I am angry. And I repent of that anger. I admit it, and I am changing. I don't know what I need to do, so I need your help. And that's about it. I want you to pray for 30 seconds to 45 seconds. You can do that. Do not preach. And Lord, if you would mind changing her, that would be really helpful too. Did that once. That was not good. That was not good at all. When you admit what's going on, she gets interested in reconciliation. And then, ladies, you pray, and you say, well, you know, I'm becoming a... a, an angry person. I'm becoming bitter. I'm, I'm becoming somebody I don't want to be, and I'm treating my husband in a way that I don't want to, and God, I, I repent of that because I don't want this, but I really need your help. 30 seconds, 45 seconds. It's his turn. Statement number, two, statement number one is a statement of this is happening, and I'm repenting. Statement number two is this is what I want in my relationship with my wife. This is what I want. God, I want to be the president of the Vanna Buckland Fan Club. (laughs) Right now, I don't even want to be a member. I really want to be the president of the Vanna Buckland (laughs) Fan Club. (laughs) And I want to love her, and I want to show everybody how much I love her. And I want my kids to know how much I love her, and I want for her to know that she is safe with me and that we can have the very best marriage ever. And I need you to do something to move me in that direction. That's what I'm asking for you to do. Give me what I have lost. Give it back to me. And then she prays, this is what I want out of my relationship with my husband. I want to be the best support. I want to greet him and really mean it and be happy when he comes home during the day. I want to be able to give myself to him in ways that are really meaningful. I want to be able to read his emotions and be able to kind of just be there for him in certain ways. I want to be his confident. I want him to rest in me. I want him to... To see me and smile. My wife would tell me during some of these times, can't you just smile at me? And I'm going, no. I can't just smile. Because I didn't feel smiley. That's what it looked like. And she'd go, stop smiling. You wanted me to smile. Why do we fight over nothing? Because we have a sin cycle inside of us. Something happens. The third one is... The view of your marriage overall. What do I want my marriage to stand for? What do, what do I want out of my wife? What do I want my marriage to stand for? God, hold us up for the church so that people can see what happens when two people who love you and step out on faith actually see you working in our lives. Your reputation is at stake in our marriage. Your reputation is at stake. So give us the kind of marriage that really people can just notice and say, well, you guys seem really happy. You've been married long enough to be miserable. Why are you happy? I want them to ask that question. And Vanna does the same thing. This is, this is what I I want my family to, to really know that we love each other. I want my parents to know that my husband is going to be caring for me. I want, I want people who are hurting to get up close to us and see that this really works. I want this great big vision. Here's what I can testify to you. Within minutes, the tension is broken between my wife and me. Minutes. This is better than any counseling session you can go to. Because when you go to a counseling session, you talk about all the things that you don't like. You start remembering all the things you don't like. And then all your emotions flare up about all the things that you don't like. And pretty soon you're all mad about all the things that you don't like. And this is not about what you don't like. This is about who God is to come in and say, I know you don't like it. You don't have to talk about that with me. What I want to know is, do you want to be like me? That's the question, Peter Buckland. Don't you want to be like me is what God is asking. Because guess what our marriage is supposed to reflect? Him. Now, the reason that I'm suggesting that God do this is because you're supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the family. And nobody seems to know what that is. So I'm going to give you a little chart here before we go about what the spiritual role can be for you. But you lead in the you lead in praying with your wife. You lead in dealing with the sin cycle. And some of you may need to go home tonight and pray that little prayer. I don't know what the state of your relationship is, but you might need to be able to do that. Um, after this, go go ahead and flip on. Um, yeah, let, let me look at this. Here here is the solution that God is. If you if you leap all the way over to Ephesians chapter five. Uh, you've got it up here for you. Ephesians chapter 5, 25. Here's what I want to do. I don't want to read that whole passage. You're familiar with it. Um, wives are to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord, that little passage of scripture. But the accent is never on the submitter. It's always on the leader. So, gentlemen, you're in the hot seat right now. I'm talking to a bunch of guys that struggle with this. And I want you to sit in the hot seat with me for just a minute. Because you are asked to do something that your wife is not asked to do. You are asked to die. I would rather submit than die. We're not asked to submit. I understand about mutual submission as the bridge verse. This is not the bridge verse. This is you taking on. Now, Now, what, here's what God is saying. God the Father is staying God the Father in the example of your relationship. He is the representative person of God. Jesus is the man in the marriage. So when I'm going to be like God... God said, be like Jesus, God. That's what this verse is saying. Be like Jesus, God. I think women are kind of like the Holy Spirit. A little bit crazy. Full of love and joy. A little bit unpredictable. But a lot of fun. If you know what I'm talking about. This is about dying. Men get to be like Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying. If you want this to work, gentlemen, if you want your model what you have to do is die to self, which is really, really hard because I'm really selfish. I like what I like. I want what I want. I work hard. And God says, I know. Die to yourself. Figure out what that means for Peter Buckland to do that because that's going to activate your marriage because I'm going to ask your wife to do something. I'm going to ask your wife to submit to you, but she can submit to you better when you die to yourself. Because it's really hard for the crown jewel of creation, who 95% of the time really knows the right way to do something, and you don't get it because you suffer from dense male syndrome, to follow a guy that doesn't really get it. It's really hard for her. So if she knows that you love her, and she knows that you're going to give yourself yourself up for her, she can put up with the fact you don't get it. Because she gets that you love her. Do you see what God is saying? To get to the heart of your woman, to get through the anger and the frustration, to get through the, he doesn't get it. You die to yourself, and that chops through everything. I didn't grow up in a family like this. My dad was not a Christian. I'm still trying to figure out what this means, because frankly, I don't care half the time. I am an analytical person who doesn't work off of emotions. And my number one problem is coming off too harsh. Now, you would never know that because you're seeing the public Peter. My wife knows that because she lives with the private Peter. That's my personality. I'm really good at really difficult things because I can pull my emotions away from them. Really good at that. It's horrible for a marriage to pull your emotions out. When I look at this, I go, oh, my goodness. So when I get up in the morning, I say, God, you have to help me be like Jesus and die to myself. You have to help me to do this because I don't know how to do it. If I'm going to be the leader, I'm being asked to lead in a way that I don't know how. You're going to have to help me. And so part of what I want to talk to you about as we go through even tomorrow is how does this actually work so that you could actually be this kind of a man? Because the accent is on the man. And I want to be hard on men tonight. I don't want to be hard on women. They they have a hard enough life. I want to be hard on the guys that sit there and look and go, I'm not going to do that. You don't have a choice. This is what God calls you to die, to be like Jesus. Because in the very next little section of this passage, God says the same verse again a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. I am now talking about Christ and the church. Christ and the church. And what he's saying is this, gentlemen, you get to be the great lover. You get to be the knight in shining armor. You get to be the one that shows up and wins the day. You get to be the one that moves for your wife. You get to be the one that loves her. And she gets to act like the celebration of the church. Then I'm going to put you in your neighborhood so that everybody can see the love story of Jesus in redemption All over the world. Every husband and wife in here is not just a reflection of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but you are the story of redemption. That's what you are. You are Jesus and the church. So, you guys who are up here are a living story of redemption. That's what we tell. That's what we live. And that everywhere that we go, people look at us and say, how do you do that? How do you do that? If I were Satan, I would want to destroy this whole thing. Just to be honest with you. I like to make you really frustrated, distract you, make sure that you all hate each other, and you go to really grumpy, crabby churches. Because if you don't know how to celebrate women and you don't know how to love men, I got you where I want you, says Satan. See, there's something really amazing going on here. That you get to be like Christ and you get to tell the story by the way that you interact with each other. You know, Christmas is coming and Walmart's here and you're going to go shopping together. You get to show the great love story of Jesus while you shop for Christmas gifts. the morning, you, God's going to give you some opportunities to pray in the toy aisle. He's going to help you when you've got to make a decision and you're in bad, bad bath and body works and your wife is wearing 45 different kinds of lotion and ask, which one do you like? You're going to have some opportunities here to love her and say, whichever one is your favorite, I can't tell the difference. And we have to go with the windows rolled down because I'm dying. You're going to have an opportunity to show the great love of Jesus in the church. That's what I want to leave you with. You get to be like God and you get to tell the evangelistic story of the great love of Jesus and the church. So it kind of looks like this. Uh, flip on to the next slide. Uh, next one after that. You've got that one. Um, you've got this husband and wife kind of idea that's going on, is that you have leaving and cleaving that's actually happening here, and you are building your marriage on Christ and his example. And so I want to I close out. We have just about 12 minutes left. Gentlemen, I want to tell you what spiritual leadership is in the best way that I can possibly do it tonight. And I want to give you some skills for when you go home, because I know I've dumped a whole truckload on you, and some of you are looking at me like, okay, you can stop now because I feel like I have, like, tried to eat an entire book. Well, I am a professor, and you are like my students, so um, I want you to have something meaty to really lay a hold of, But I want to give you some big main ideas. So flip on to this next slide. And this is what I want to leave the guys with, is this idea of spiritual um, leadership. Um, Go ahead. Yeah, this one right here. I did a study of the life of Christ. Um, I don't I don't like a lot of stuff that other people write be, write because I think it's a little bit flat. And what I what I see is that Jesus is a multi dimensional leader. Is that he acts different ways in different situations to be the leader. And so I read through all the Gospels and I made a list of all the things that he did when he led. And I, I looked at all those categories and I eventually boiled them down to four that I could remember because I'm a guy and I need it simple. Keep it simple, stupid. And so what I have now is in order from left to right, gentlemen, what you need to do to be the spiritual leader of your family. So if you're serious about this and you want your family to sing the redemption story, you want to be able to handle the sin cycle in your own relationship, you want to be able to, to mirror the, the loving triune God with, a, with God and you and, and your wife, then I want you to start right here. This is the place I want you to begin. And First one is sacrificial support. Every man in here is a problem solver. Your wife is not a problem to solve. We put her in your problem to solve category. So ladies, you're just listening in on this because you feel this. You know this. And every time that she has an issue, we want to run in and tell her what to do so she doesn't have the issue anymore. Your wife is always going to have issues. She will always have something that isn't working the right way. And when she gets really wise, hint, hint, she won't tell you all of them because it wears us out. Because we need something to hold. We need something to not have to be fixed. But when she comes to you and you don't know what to do, what you have to do is love her and support her. So here's what you do. She tells you all these things that are going on and she says, well, what do you think I should do? Or you're thinking, oh, I need to tell you what to do because I know exactly what I would do. What you do is when she gets all the way done with all of those things, you listen for the themes of her heart. Don't listen to the details because it's sometimes hard for her to find the words. You listen for the themes. So if she's talking about school she's talking about the kids or she's talking about your, your parents, she's talking about something with the theme because she's trying to express to you something that words can't really capture because she's the crown jewel of creation. It's hard for her to put things into words. And if you pick on one aspect of that and try to solve that one aspect she's going to feel like the conversation didn't really connect. And so you listen to the theme, and let's just say, well, my wife is dealing with her aging parents. And um, her dad's having little TIAs. He's in his 80s. Ma, her mom is trying to do the very best that she can. and They're both kind of wearing out. Some of you are probably in that position. You know what that's like. And so she's talking to me, and there's a lot of grief that's building up inside of her. And I have like a whole list of tasks that I think could be done to help her. Because, you know, she's telling me these things. You know, I didn't go to advanced training for nothing. I can tell her all these things that I think that she should do. And what I've learned to do is I listen to all of that, and then I say to her this. Out of all the things that you think would be really helpful for your mom and your dad, what do you think would be one of the best things you could do? What do you think, Vanna, one of the best things you could do? And then she'll kind of talk about all that. And she might even ask me, what do you think? Never answer the question anymore, gentlemen. Okay, she's not asking you to answer the question. Okay, it's deception. Uh, when sometimes a woman asks you something, she doesn't mean what she's asking. Okay, you think she means that? Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Not in this conversation. What she's saying to you is Do you really hear what I'm saying? And do you catch how important this is to me? And she asks it by What do you think I should do? We're at a distinct handicap because we suffer from dense male syndrome. We don't get that. But a woman is asking something that she's not asking. So what you say then is, when she says, what do you think I should do? I will often say, well, I think that we need, we need to figure out what the best thing is. Now, I already know what the five best things are as far as I'm concerned. But I want you to know, she's never taken my advice. I've been married 30 years, and she has never taken my number one as her number one. Isn't that interesting? Never. And so years ago, I learned not to give them to her from the standpoint of, I think you should do this. What I do is I lay it out and I say, what do you think we should do? And how can I help you? And what do you think is the best thing? And she, she actually just got back from a trip a couple weeks ago where I didn't even think about her going up. She said, you know, I just, I just really want to see them. I didn't see that one coming. My wife's a public school teacher. Ask me how many days she has taken off um, since she started working at the school district eight years ago, zero. Ask me how many days she stayed home sick in eight years. One. My wife never, never takes off work. And she always complains that she can't go see her family because she doesn't take off work. So that, that never got on my radar. That was her number one thing. So she went on a trip and had a great time. And it was wonderful. And it was just what she needed. And she came back and she's like, I want to go live there. And I'm going, yeah, I know, no. We're not going to live 95 miles south of Canada. They already have snow on the ground. No, we're not going up there. We can like love them from here, but we're not moving up there. And She's like, I know. Support, 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 support. Sometimes you walk up and you just give her a hug and you don't say anything except I love you. And then you whisper to her, I'm really glad I married you and I would do it again and every single bit of anger that's inside of her will tend to evaporate at that point because she wants to melt into you to know that somebody gets her. Gentlemen, here is probably the second most important thing you need to know about tonight, about your wife, which we'll kind of cover tomorrow. Of all the things that she can portray to you, she wants you to find her. She doesn't want you to get distracted by what she's upset with. She doesn't want you to just go out and wail on the kids because she's mad at the kids. I mean, I did that several times and found out that wasn't what she wanted. So I'm saying, why are you telling me that they need to be punished if you don't want them to be punished? Because when a woman says something, she doesn't mean what she says half the time. That's what that is. I figured out that what she wanted me to do was find her. I'm very dumb and slow. That one took 27 years to learn. 27 years, long, arduous, male stupid years to learn. And when she says something, she wants me to find her. By that, what I mean is she wants to know that I care about her. Not that I go fix anything. Because she used to say to me, well, you know, I'm really mad at Audrey. And she did blah, blah, blah. And I I say, put her on the phone. No, no. No, I don't want you to talk to her. And I'm like driving somewhere because I've spent a lot of my, some of our married life on the road for speaking and all of that. And I said, just put her on the phone. No, 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 no. I don't, I don't want you to talk to her. I'm going, I want to fix this. Because what do I want more than anything else in my family? Peace. I don't want to be talking to you 500 miles away, you complaining about our kids. I want our kids to be perfect when I'm gone. And doggone it, the long arm of dad will go over the phone and I will massacre them if they're not perfect. For I will put the fear of dad in their hearts. If that's what it takes to have peace, I will have peace. She didn't want peace. She wanted to know that I cared about her. That's really confusing to me. That's emotional support. That's the support. Gentlemen, if you can get one thing done tonight to say, I need to listen to you, and I need to figure out what support really means. And ladies, if you can help them to understand that, that will be really good. Secondly is mutuality. You need to do stuff with them. You need need to figure out some things that you can do. You need to shop with them. You need to spend time with them. You need to watch one of those girl chick flick movies with them every once in a while and not mock it and make fun of it if they really want to do that, and just maybe watch one every three months or something um, and keep your mouth shut about what's actually happening because my wife looks at me and goes, how do you know that that's going to happen? Because it happens in every movie. That's why. Why am I watching this movie? (laughs) I hate my life sometimes. What you have to do is do things with her. The last thing she wants to do is feel like she's a single mother. Feel like she's alone from you. And feel like it's up to her to do everything. Can I get an amen, ladies? You don't want to feel that way. You want your husbands to be interested in what you are interested in. That's mutuality. That's one flesh for a woman. Thirdly is leadership. This is the classic way that we look at um, spiritual leadership, man, woman. This is what you will often hear in the church, that the man is ahead head of the wife, um, which is true, and that the wife is to be submissive to her husband. That is all true. I put it third because if you live that way, it hurts a woman because she doesn't get the other elements. And so there will come a time when you have to veto her. And it's going to cost you a lot of emotional dollars. Because nobody likes to be vetoed. It's going to hurt her. If she really wants something done, and you say, we just can't do it, it's going to hurt her. And you need to know that. And you can't operate out of this all the time. Because it's too hard for her. But if she needs to be saved from herself, can I just ask some of our guys to get some courage and tell your wife to knock it off? Because sometimes she gets out of control about things she shouldn't be out of control about. And you all know it, ladies, when it happens to you. And sometimes what a woman needs is her man to come up and say, we need to do something different than this. And you need to stand up and lead her away from where she has accidentally found herself To a better place. But what does a man want more than anything else? Peace. And so you're going to have to risk war in order to find peace. There was a lady who wrote a very upsetting letter to our minister two weeks ago. She is one of our leadership wives. And I was really upset when I got it because it was unfair. And I said, Van, I want you to read this letter. I don't hardly ever let her do that. I want you to read this letter because I need to know if, but I am I, really, str- I, I want to get in my car and go have a conversation. And she read it and she said, oh. And then she said this, I don't think I would ever write a letter and, like that. And I looked at her and I said, I would never let you write a letter like that. I would never let you write a letter like that because That's embarrassing. And it's mean. I don't even know if her husband know knows that she wrote it. I've had a conversation with her, it wasn't about the letter, because she sort of came to her senses. You know how sometimes when people get all emotionally discombobulated, they say things they wish they didn't say, or they might have written something that they wish they didn't write, but there wasn't a filter on that one. And somehow, some way, her husband, who I don't even know, I haven't even broached it with him, he's one of my friends, to ask him if he even knew what, what that was, because that was an offensively angry letter with somebody who got just bent out of shape. I want my wife to save me from that when that happens to me. And my wife wants me to save her when that happens to her. That's this leadership. It's not about demanding my own way. Get me the tea woman, cause I'm the guy. It's something happened to you and I need to stand in the way so we can have the kind of relationship that we need to have. And I need to find a way to do that because we can't do it that way. And I can tell you when somebody's angry or frustrated, that's a hard thing for them. This is the most creative being ever made who somehow got into the wrong mood, which happens. And the last one is protection that a woman needs for her man to protect her and stand up for her. Enough of that. Let's go on to submission. Let me give you this last one. Ladies, let me give this to you. And we'll close out with this, and I'll have some closing thoughts for you. Um, when you take a look at this idea of submission, um, this somehow, I mean, this, this is a little different. Um, I, needed, I needed to make this long, and I didn't make it long. So the I-O-N or the O-N is underneath that little person. Um, but submission doesn't have a very good um, emotional tone for us. Yeah, go ahead and flip on to the next one, too. Um, it feels like this for ladies. It just feels painful. I mean, you, you're, you're American women, and American women don't submit. When you fight for your rights, and you vote, and you get things to happen. We're very, very conflicted within our culture, and I understand that. So I, I want to I talk to you about this last slide. This is the last one here that I, I want to talk to you about. And this is a gift to you from my mom. So you can do with this whatever you want to. My mom died when she was 42 years old from cancer. And um, we were the first two Christians in the family. And people say really significant things on their way out. When they're getting ready to go meet Jesus, they're able to say very, very profound things. And my mom said something to me that is actually up here that I want to lay out for you and ask you to join me in considering because I think this was really very cool and exciting information for me and has really shaped a lot about helping me to be the right kind of a husband for Vanna. She said, Peter, when I grew up, my my mom would be 75 right now. Uh, When I grew up, I learned that I had to give up what I wanted to do and do everything the way that your dad did it. It was like what my grandparents would do. And, and it didn't matter what I thought, I had to do that. And then she said to me, but I felt like I lost myself. I felt like I couldn't find myself, and I, I felt like I, I just sort of evaporated. And, and your dad and I would talk to each other. I mean, remember, my dad was not a Christian for a long, long time, um, for over 20 years of their marriage. And she said, your dad and I would talk to each other, and we would ask ourselves, why did we even get married in the first place? Why did we even do this? Because I felt like I evaporated. So the very first line that's up there is a gift to you from my mom. And it is, it is not a woman giving up her unique identity. Remember what a woman is. A woman is a created gift. A woman has gifts and talents. A woman has amazing abilities. And in a relationship with a husband, they are to be accelerated. They are not to be stifled. And so a woman who is loved is an amazing woman. And a woman who is jilted is one you want to stay away from. Because there's something about love that opens up a lady. So, there are three things about submission that I want to present to you to have you think about. Number one is submission is a woman aligning herself with her husband. That little arrow means aligning. You get to pick your guy. We live in a culture that doesn't have arranged marriages. So, ladies, you get to pick the man, and you pick him based upon your belief that he's going to be like Jesus. We're talking about Christian people here. Will he act like Jesus? Will he move like Christ? Will, will we be able to do some pretty amazing things? And will I be secure in his love? Has he won my heart because he reminds me of the God I love? That's a Christian decision right there. Now, people get married for all kinds of other reasons. But that's why a Christian woman gets married. Because her fiancé reminds her of the God she loves. Because who's the role? Or what's the role that the man plays? The Jesus role. The sacrificial role. The listening role. The caring role. The supportive role. Secondly... She has to give up the need to have dominance. That's a picture of a queen uh, chess piece and a king chess piece lying down. She gives up the, her need to have dominance. You have to come underneath a man. This is one of the hardest things that God asks you to do. And you're saying, I am going to trust you to be the right kind of guy because I'm going to follow you even if I'm not exactly sure where we're going. But you know where we're going because you're following Jesus, right? You know what we're doing because you're like stepping out in faith, Right? So if we shut down and we don't express what's going on spiritually, it's harder for our wives to follow us. So you give up the need for dominance. Now, this last one is the really cool one. Partners with him as her selfless leader. Partners. Okay? This is is a question I I want for you to give me some feedback on. When you and I become Christians... It's a very broad question because I'm fishing for the right answer. When you and I become Christians... Something happens to us. I'm looking for one word. What happens to us? Or what is the characteristic that is a part of our life? Peace? That's very good, but that's not what I'm looking for. Change? No? That's, it's good. It, you're right, but it's not what I'm looking for. No? Nope, it's not what I'm looking for. No? 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 Nope, keep going. No? No? I didn't hear it. No? Think of July the 4th. I heard it. Starts with letter F. Freedom. Fireworks. Yes. There should be fireworks, but those should probably be in the bedroom instead of like, there Freedom. What does submission give you? It gives you freedom. It gives you freedom from sin and freedom to live in Christ with the parameters of choice. When a woman gets married, She is to live in the freedom of the parameters of choice of Christ. So when a woman gets married, um, submission shouldn't be this bondage of do it because I said so. It should be, okay, how do I, as the one who is the great unfolder of the gift, help my wife to live in the freedom of our marriage so that I turn her loose to do her ministry? How do I do that? Because that's the end byproduct of submitting to Christ is freedom from sin to have freedom for service. So my wife ought to be the most amazing woman on the block. She ought to have the most freedom in Christ to express herself any way she wants to. My wife's a school teacher, and um, she is really worn out on the weekends because of all the things that are happening in the public school. And um, she said to me, Peter, I view my own personal ministry as a ministry to our children and to their friends And to their friends' friends, and to their friends' 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 friends, and I see that we're going to open up our house, and we are going to be the oasis, and we're going to feed them, clothe them, and we're going to sleep them, and we're going to do everything for them, and we are going to be the most amazing family. That is my ministry. And I said to her, "Okay." About a year ago, on the Web City Public School school bus, eighth graders were fighting with each other over who my wife loved more, (laughs) of the two of them. I didn't even know either one of them, but my wife knew them, and they were arguing over who Mrs. Buckland loved more. Just look at that, like, that's just crazy. Crazy cool. Crazy good. We have broken furniture because we have dysfunctional people who somehow play hide-and-seek, and and they try to leap over the backs of our furniture, and they're like 275 pounds. And rhinos don't leap. Gazelles leap. And so, while running around our house when we're not there, we have had non Christian people destroy our furniture. And we come home and it's wrecked. And I look at my children and say, What happened? And they go, I don't know what happened. I had a conversation with a guy who's struggling with sexual identity, same sex issues, drug addiction. His father overdosed recently. Terrible, terrible mess. Absolute painful experience. And I pulled him aside after he destroyed the back of our couch. And I said, you're more important than a couch. And I want you to know that you're welcome in our family. Our couch is still broken. It's one of those sectional ones. And of course, he hit the most sensitive side that has the bow in it. And if you lean on it, it looks okay Till you touch it. If you lean on it, you fall over. And sometimes I go up to that couch and I see that the frame is gone and I pray for this kid who's a total wreck. My wife said to me this. She said, you know, I was so angry with you. Remember, my wife likes everything in place. And this is not to say something bad about her. She said, I don't know that I could have told him that right away. It's a good thing we're a team, eh? There are times that my wife can do the right thing right away, and there are times that I can do the right thing right away. And we both agree that that's the right thing, that a person is more important than a couch. But I have given my wife the freedom to be whoever God needs for her to be, and I just tag along. And it's cool. It's cool. So here are some things that I want you to consider from tonight. Number one. What is the purpose for, for your marriage? The purpose is to reflect who God is, to reflect who God is. So one of the questions is, how are you doing? And like me, you're going to find strengths and weaknesses. So this is not really about making you feel guilty. This is about you saying, okay, where do I need to start? Secondly, how well are you doing reflecting the redemption story? How well is forgiveness going in your family? How well are you at, at husbands loving your wives and pursuing her? have conversation and to pray with her and to commit that I will do some of these things with you. And ladies, how are you doing receiving that love and being joyful and and expressing the love that you actually have? Those are the great big ideas that I want you to leave with because you're going to have issues that are going to try to derail you. So gentlemen, the one big thing that I want for you to take home of all of them is can you be supportive of your wife and can you learn to love her and find her? through all of the different ways that she experiences life? When she's having a hard time, can you find her rather than fight with her? Can you come up with the rule that is we will no longer fight? We will not fight in our family anymore. We will not. I will not fight you. I will love you through your worst moments, but I will not fight you. God does not fight us. He loves us through our worst moments. Can you, gentlemen aspire to take that and learn what that's like over the next six months? Can you do that? And ladies, can you learn how to let him love you? Can you teach him what love is? Can you teach him what you really like? And can you let him love you as he tries to do that the very best job that he can? And can you accelerate the freedom of your own ministry expression? If you're a behind-the-scenes person, then be the best behind-the-scenes person you can be. If you're a public speaker, then speak to your heart's content. If you love to write, then write a whole bunch of letters to everybody and buy out the post office before the stamps go up. Or do a bunch of emails. If, If you love having people in your house, open up your house and cook them and make them all 50 pounds fatter. Find a way that you can express your own ministry. Because here's the thing. There is nothing more amazing than seeing God work. And every single day, he'll work through you. Every single day, he'll work through you. Join me in prayer. God, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. And we pray, we pray that you will make us and refashion us and shape us. And tonight, Lord, with all of this theology and these big ideas, I pray that you will help for each person who is here to grab a hold of something and take it home and say, this is where I'm going to start. And I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to figure it out. And when they come back tomorrow, we're going to talk about ways in which those things can really be expressed in a marriage, in a relationship. God, help for this church to be able to have the expression of God all over the community in its marriages. In Jesus' name.